Welcome back to Pass the Syrup. Almost forgot the name of the podcast there and called it something completely different. Pass the Syrup, the estate agency and letting agency uh, podcast. It's run by, it features only estate agents and letting agents from around the country. Actually, today we tick off a box we've been trying to tick for a little while. So we've had English agents, we've had Welsh agents, Scottish agents. And today we feature an agent from Northern Ireland, which is bloody marvellous. So let me start by introducing uh, Stephen McCarron, McCarron, excuse me, uh, from uh, Derry Stroke London Derry. Um, good man, good man. <laughs> yeah, got a good buddy in there. Um, Donny Brook Estate Agents. Stephen, how are you, mate? I'm very well, thank you. I'm delighted to be on this as well. It's good to have a little bit of representation from the smallest aisle amongst us all. So thank you for inviting me. You are welcome. Thanks for coming on. We are all about, uh, I was going to say diversity. That'd be a complete lie. We're not all about diversity. That would just be an absolute takeaway waffle of the week nonsense statement. But we want representation from everyone. Um, and so good to have you with us. Thank you. Returning for his second spot, Chris Thieu, Michelle McKay, the beast from ah, it doesn't rhyme. I thought I had something right. It doesn't the rhyme. The beast from the south. The Peter beast Sunny. from the south. Okay, the beast from Brighton. The mouth uh, from the Colin south. And Sussex, the Brighton beast. Great to have you back on, Chris. How's it going, mate? Yeah, very good. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for the invite again. Appreciate it. Um, so yeah, let's have a let's have a happy Tuesday. A happy Tuesday. And I've just looked at the clock. It's eleven eleven. What does that mean? Manifestation, doesn't it? Waffles. Wow. Oh, we started. We started. Um, <coughs> what, I, what I just, yeah, it's happy Tuesday. I've just realised that I think I sent last week when I sent out the invites, I sent them on a Tuesday and I might have emailed to say, see you next Tuesday. And I didn't, and it's just clicked. Uh, you got to be avoiding the, yeah. Okay. Right. Let's pull it right back. Um, and now the, the leader of podcast appearances. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mr. Rowan Waller, Waller, Waller's estate agents in Oxford. Um, no, 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 no. See, now, uh, col now, now college and county, you see. I set you up. Tell us. You did, us. didn't you? Come set on, up, what's happening? So, so well, Waller's, Waller's estate agents, as was, we we have merged with uh, with another local firm. So, um, so you're now speaking to sales director at college and county as opposed to Rowan Waller name above the door, Waller's estate agents. So, Congratulations. Yeah, thank that you very much. Up. Getting your name off the door means you can do anything you want now. You I do, know, yeah, they're don't terrified. Don't worry about it. You're, they're terrified. You're, you're a member of the team. Um, it's somebody else's problem when things go really, really wrong. It's lovely. Good for you. Congratulations, Ryan. Thank you, mate. So we're going to crack straight on. We are into our new format. We're nice and fast. We're nice and punchy. And we start the podcast with the big question of the week. So this week's big question, I've caught the guests off guard here. What's your favourite biscuit? Oh, easy. Go on. Easy, 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 easy peasy. Custard cream. Oh, okay. All right. Go on. All yeah. right. Uh, not for easy. me. Easy. Stephen? Mm, I would say a penguin. Penguin? All yeah. right. Yeah, That's... okay. I do like a Is penguin. that a biscuit? That's I don't know. Pushing, I mean, his, pushing his luck there, really. Are you stretching it? I don't know if a biscuit can come in a single pack. Uh... Stretch, we'll give you though. Rowan? Okay. Um, Hobnob. What about yeah. your favourite biscuit? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Cup of tea uh, and Hobnob, yeah. though. Yeah. Chocolate covered Hobnob. Delicious. Yeah, I'm, I'm there on that. Yeah. Mm. All right. Yeah. All right. Back to the real stuff. Uh, real question of the week. Um, so, reasonably controversial, hopefully. Spiky, absolutely. 
So I've heard this said, uh, actually, I heard this said for the first time about a year ago. I'd never heard it. Buyers are liars and clients are worse. I'd never heard the clients are worse part, but um, since hearing it, I can't get it out of my head. But if buyers are liars and clients are worse, aren't the consumer simply getting what they deserve in the case of dishonest estate agents? Because, look, you know, we can dress it up as much as we want. We've got a rep for a reason. I'm not suggesting you guys, certainly not suggesting my own team, but there are agents out there that are dishonest. That's the consumer's viewpoint. Aren't they just getting what they deserve? Well, I don't think any of us can say they are getting what they deserve. I'd love to say yes, but no. But yes, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, no, I don't think so. I think in this, this age that we live in, honesty is the best policy right across the board, no matter what. And no matter what the temptations are, and there are many, and we are provoked many, many times, but we have to stay honest because we're trying to uh, improve our position and our, how people view us. That's my take on it. Temptation is, temptation is there, though. So temptation to stretch the, the truth a little because, you know, when a, when a buyer registers and they want to look at X property for X amount and then it comes to offer time and then they fall in love with it and they really want it, they always find that little bit more, don't they, when they really love it. But that's not the that's, you, you told me categorically that wasn't your budget three weeks ago. So, you know, they're stretching things. Shouldn't agents just fight fire with fire? I think I, I think there's there's a big picture. I think the, the bigger picture is is listen. You know, I think um, I think honesty is is a, is an integral part, and that's the reason um, why uh, people instruct an agent is because when they trust them. But I think there's also an element that um, where money's involved, money. Um, my my mum always says this: money is the root of all evil, and it is so true. Um, and where money is involved, you there is a very there's a handful of people in my life that I that I trust, and I think where money's involved, I think it's really important that actually, um, <clears throat> it is straight down the line. But people are people, it is a very difficult conversation to have, I think, and I think that sometimes I think buyers, you know, everyone everyone's out to protect their, you know, especially if it's buyers, everyone's out there to protect their own pocket, which is understandable. And then you know, it's human nature, isn't it? You want to you want to sell high and buy low, using your example. Um, you know, that's that's human nature, isn't it? So I think, you know, have we got what we deserve? No, or have they got what they deserve? No, I just think it's human nature. Unfortunately, where money's involved, it's um, you know, people they're you know, they're protecting their own pocket at that point in time. We're using that as a as an example, I guess. The phrase um, often used, sorry, the phrase often used um is that if, if they tell us what their budget really is, that we'd somehow use it against them, as if there's some massive conspiracy amongst the state yeah. agents to take every last penny off them. And I, I, obviously it's, it's a mistaken, it's a mistaken idea, but I hear that so often. We don't want to tell the agent in case they use it against us. And and the flip side is, I imagine you also might hear that from sellers that, you know, they tell you they need to, or they really have to achieve X price. And then when it gets down to the nitty gritty <laughs> negotiation, actually they're willing to do a deal if, there's some maneuverability somewhere else and there's something else that could be negotiated or it allows them to move on with their life. Both, both parties, the consumer in general, I think is so guarded when dealing with us that they, they don't think they can tell us the truth. Mm -hmm. well, I think I mean? that's so far. I think that's so far ingrained. I think, I think that that's, that's the, and I know, I guess that's part of, you know, partly the problem with the industry. And again, without 
pushing too far into the industry because we want to try and move away from that um, in this pod is actually we have made a role for our own back. Let's be really honest is that, that that's that's all the industry has had that in, um, you know, I was never driving around in, um, I was, I was born in 84. So the first, my first taste of stage and she was in 2004. Um, but uh, back in the 80s, the, um, what is it? The, the, the flash escorts or was it the, the, the you know, all, all of those, all that jazz in the 1980s. You know, I think that's probably where it, a lot of the agency or rep, the bad rep has come from, is that sharp practice back then. And unfortunately, we've carried it through. And, you know, you never shift it because you're dealing with people's biggest assets and you're selling the most important thing people ever buy or sell. So, yeah, I think it's it's a, it's a difficult it's a difficult thing to to kind of rep. But, Let me yeah. ask you guys this. I'll start with you, Ryan, because you've, you've been so quiet. Right so far. Yeah, I'm, I'm coming right at you. Have you ever... Uh, been disingenuous when you've been a consumer trying to make a purchase, maybe a, I don't know, negotiating on a car or negotiating on a purchase of a property or you know, or the rent of a property. Um, I'm actually, have you ever? To, uh, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm actually rubbish at negotiating for myself. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely appalling. So I've, I've never not paid asking price for a house or over asking price. <laughs> I think so. Um, so I'm the, I'm the worst person to ask. But I, uh, I don't know. I think. Have I ever been disingenuous? I, uh, we're all capable of it, right? <laughs> I think we are absolutely so, okay, capable of it. I think it, yeah. I think everybody wants the best deal for themselves. I think, like, to answer the the, the general question that you've asked, you know what I say? Two things. First of all, you should all go and look for the Ballad of David and Penelope by Rowan Waller. Find that on YouTube because that that literally that just tells this story in poetic form. In fact, Charlie Lambden has posted that on his YouTube site, so you can go there and have a look for it. Who's Charlie Lambden? Charlie Lambden. Oh well, we can talk about that later. <laughs> So, but um, but to answer the general point, I think that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of advice being given to 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 buyers about how to get the best deal out of out of estate agents and and i.e. I mean there's like advice going out there saying you should be knocking it down by 20, 30 percent, which isn't going to do anyone any favors. And they can afford more; they just want to get they want to get less. So this I don't know is that in, I don't know if that's disingenuous or not, but. But I think it's disingenuous from the point of view of if this is in, just in this current situation that we're talking about now, where there's this idea that the market's going down and the advice is, well, if the market's going down, you want to be buying it below the market value. But when the market's going up, the advice is never, well, then, you know, the market is going to be 10% up by next year. So you really want to be offering that much to catch up with, you know, where it's going to be. So, so it doesn't, it doesn't really cut in both directions. I think the, I think that the problem with buyers lies, clients are worse is that, one of the problems is when we when we first go into a state agency, or re- at least when I first went into a state agency, similar to Chris, 2005, I went in thinking that we were there to work for the buyers. That's that sort mm. of, a, a, you just assume that's your job. And you immediately get told, oh, no, 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 the buyers aren't our clients at all. The clients are the sellers because those are the ones that pay the fee. And it kind of gets drummed into you as a junior neg. And, and, you, and then you evolve into a state agency with this idea that you are there to serve the, serve the, the seller and in somehow that is not serving the buyer, and you and you have to kind of you have to crack yourself out of that cycle. And I don't know whether that is typical across the board in a state agency, but it it felt like it was the it felt like it was the doctrine in corporate estate agency anyway. And corporate estate agency tends to sort of dominate the estate agency landscape, and particularly for young estate agents because it's where all the kind of the, the best training is. So, so I think perhaps we're set up for that that fall and this kind of battle with with you know both with with buyers from an estate agent's point of view from from really early on in our career, and and that perhaps 
perpetuates this what is really a myth that the state agents are the enemy and and i think that's where buyers come from is that they, they kind of come with this sort of nervous attitude that we are there to somehow sharp them whereas well i mean are we or not we, we are there i suppose to get the best deal for our clients which is the seller but ultimately we are there to facilitate a deal and uh and I, I don't i don't know if there's an easy way out of that but the easy way out of that to me isn't roper the easy way out of it isn't isn't licensing it's not it's not extra regulation. I don't think any of that is going to make us more trusted as an industry at all. I'm not saying it's not going to do good things for the industry, but I don't, I don't, I genuinely don't think it's going to help the the general public viewers in any any sort of better light than they do now. Can I ask? Really, sorry, I have to ask this question. You talk about you know not rule for not regulation. What is the answer? Because there has to be something that's going to improve uh, the public's opinion. Otherwise, we'll stay in eternal. Uh, hell and damnation, where all the state agents are in effect a bit dodgy, a bit crooked, a bit weird, a bit way. And that, in, in reality, is so far from the truth. There are a few rules out there. How do you How do you get an answer to that problem if it's not going to be regulation? Well, I think the regulation we are already regulated, so we could just enforce what's already there to get the rogues out of the system. I mean, that's that would be a good start. I mean, we can get more regulation, but if they're not going to enforce the new regulation, it's not going to help anyway. We're still going to get the roads. I just, I just don't think that it. I don't think that they will care that we have to go through qualifications to. Yeah. I mean, what are the qualifications really going to tell you to do as an estate agent? I mean, it's it doesn't really. I, I, all, all of these the qualifications in estate agency that matter to the general public, I think, are all based on value. So really, they 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 want surveyors to be in charge of it and and set values because i think that's what that's what consumers are always terrified of that they're either paying too much for something that's unfair or that they're being told to sell for less than something's worth probably because they've got jack the lad from down the road knocking on their door saying oh i can't believe i've got a list as long as my arm of people who come around and pay you twice the price for that so and i don't and the regulation's not going to stop that either because it's because it's still going to be a a, a kind of a, a free market society that we live in where you are allowed to go and and, and tell other stock and and say that sort of thing without any i don't think that you, you know you're not going to be made to sort of prove that that you have got that list of buyers that that's going to that's going to stop all of those practices so that so those kind of shady practices aren't going to be stopped by roper i've often wondered this if if it was said under some sort of law or legislation that when an agent gives a valuation that there's only a certain level of tolerance with it. In other words, the guys that go out and say, oh, your house is worth 50 grand more than the agent that comes in before them, and basically gaslights the client. What if there was something that came into legislation or law that made that, that agent responsible or culpable if their client loses out as a result of it? Is that something that you think would be good in agency that would, would sort out the men from the boys? And stop that it, well, practice. yes, and yes, and no. I mean, it sounds that sounds like it sounds like a, a great idea and a solution. But the trouble is, is that values are dictated by absolutely extraneous things that we can't control. So we can control that Liz Trust was going to launch a grenade in September last year that that kind of toppled our market, and we can't. And that you know, we can't control what some commentator might come in and say. These you know house price is going to dip by 30 35 percent over the next year that makes buyers go oh god well actually i'm going to have to start offering this and 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 all of all of these things and don't don't get me wrong i'm not saying that that, that is going to control what the market does but it is controlling what a certain sector of buyers are now thinking and and i guess you'll never be able to then prove that 
by you know if, if someone then goes and accepts an offer that is 15 percent less than they were told by an agent they should accept could they not have, it's it's a moment in time another month later and they might have got a bit more for it and it will never it will never be something that could be proven i think the other so we've we've wandered off down a little path here but this is good <laughs> No, this is, I mean, it happens every week. I've, I've, I've come to terms with it. It's just like going on holiday with my three little girls. I do what they tell me. You guys, you run the show. I'm just going to linger in the background, hoping, so, hoping I don't get attacked. Um, I think the question is, what's a rogue agent for me? Because rogue agent gets thrown around a lot. And I, you know, today we started the conversation with dishonest agents. Mm. But quite a lot when we talk about ROPA, we're talking about compliance and legislation. And, you know, rogue agents are breaching compliance and legislation. My mindset, and it's just my opinion, being a London-based agent and have been for 20 years and interact with some interesting characters, a rogue agent is someone that doesn't tell the truth. They're not intentionally breaching legislation and compliance. I actually listened to a podcast with two really experienced agents uh, just last week cycling into the office. Two good guys. They know their stuff. They're good agents. You'll see them on social media. You may have heard it yourself. And one of them raised a question around compliance, around uh, when you take a property from another agent and who's responsible if a buyer the previous agent introduced they want to come back they want to buy i want to go into full detail because they don't want to necessarily overly highlight the fact that they didn't have a clear understanding of what the compliance and legislation around that was mm, which i was strange, really really it? surprised by it's, it's really with, the, with the foxton's ruling right well but there they had a very vague conversation and said how would we address this well um, so Finding Country, our part of Nurse Group. Nurse Group have access to Paul Offley, head of compliance, really good guy, knows his stuff. That's a simple conversation. The rules are there. They are set. There's no, it's not vague. It's not great. It's just black and white. And it's really simple. And that really highlighted for me that two really good agents, actually, when I think of rogue agents, I'm just thinking of the cowboys and not all London agents, because we're in London and we're wonderful human beings. But there's plenty of cowboys in London. I think of cowboys, but actually, I think lots of others are thinking my agent isn't actually an expert. They don't know everything they need to know and should know to be my agent. So I think there's a definition piece around what a rogue agent is. Mm. And then there's a, Rowan, you raised it. Policing is is actually, you know, for me, that's that's the silver bullet. Effective policing. At the moment, you know, I, I can't think of um, a really good uh, way in which we're able to police estate agents other than agents grassing each other up. And we all know, you know, that, that doesn't work. Yeah, that doesn't work. Um, sure. Surely the definition of a rogue agent then is someone who puts himself or herself first above all others. Is that well, not the start of what a rogue agent does? Um, it depends. So I, you know, if I was to if I was to manipulate that statement, I'd say I put myself first. But in order to, by me putting myself first, it ensures I'm going to get my client the best result because I want to be a successful agent. But I'm I'm talking about putting yourself first above your client. So you're the most important person in the, in the in the circle, and is that not surely the definition of a rogue agent? I've just, I've, just, I've just taken, I've just literally just typed in rogue meaning into Google. Now that doesn't mean that doesn't mean everything, guys. But um, uh, you uh, is is a dishonest and unprincipled person. So take that from what you mean, really. I guess is I, th I think there are some things about um. There are some examples where I think it's probably lack of training, lack of experience. But I think if you're uh, if you're being if it's if you're being dishonest um, and again probably not working for who you should be, then that's a problem, I guess, isn't it? I guess that's what I mean. That for me that means rogue. When someone says, "Oh, well, he's gone rogue," 
um i guess that's what it kind of means in in my in my headspace i guess it just means that actually they've <clears throat> they've gone off uh they've gone off and been a maverick it's funny isn't it on a friday night which is not very often anymore because of my age but if i go out for a beer the guys in the office will say ben's gone rogue and what that means is ben's gone home that's what <laughs> yeah. that's, uh, ben snuck away ben's got out as quickly yeah. as possible um <clears throat> what I would say is one thing that Steph Walker from the Agency UK said uh, last week, uh, or that might be on this week, actually, um, she spent a lot of time working in America for Purple Bricks. Um, she almost launched the brand over there. Now, she's not using her experience with Purple Bricks over there to quantify anything. The point she made was, in the in America, agents are licensed, and there's just as many dodgy characters working over there as there is here. Hmm. So the licensing piece is not, it's not the silver bullet. I think you said it early on, where and it makes up part of improving standards, but there's got to be a, a you know there's got to be a, a selection of initiatives that we bring in to improve standards, remove rogues, remove dishonesty. Although it's on it because the funny thing is uh, you can have an agent that's dishonest but principled. So you can have an agent that's being dishonest to a buyer about say another buyer. I'm not saying you shouldn't do this by the way, or should you? Right? Because right. if your job if your job is to get the best possible price for a client, the, the, the client wants half a million quid and you've got a buyer who's offering four agency. By the way, in, and I absolutely caveat, you're not allowed to do this. Somebody's offering 480, you know your client wants 500 and you say to that buyer who's offering 480, look, I've got somebody else who wants to pay 500 for this and you're going to miss out if you don't buy it. And they go to 500. They can go to 500. They're willing to therefore go to 500. But the, but the way of getting them to 500 has been dishonest. But they've worked. But the principle that they've done it for is because they're getting the best price for their client, and actually they've got the price that this person can and is willing to pay, but didn't want to. They didn't want to pay it. So anyway, I, I don't do that. I'm not saying you can do it, but but it goes they, on. You're right. It, goes it, it on. definitely goes on. But the, but the, it's it's and it's dishonest. But it's principled because the principle is I want to. I, I knew that this person was lying to me. They they when they said they couldn't go up from 480, they didn't want to go up from 480. is the best they're going to offer. <laughs> But I've said someone else is going to offer 500 and lo and behold, this person's gone up to 500. That will happen. That's, I've never done it, um, but it, it will happen. And, and arguably that, that agent has then got the, the price for their client. But is, so, that agent, is that agent principled if they also take a risk that that or buyer will just go fine, go to the other person and say 500 grand? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Don't, don't, get, all, don't get me wrong. There, settle, there, are, yeah. there are all sorts of risks, aren't there? But And it will get spun because you'll have agents saying, I've got someone who is going to be looking at the weekend who's saying that they can go up to 500 and, you know, and all of these, and there'll be nuanced ways of, of agents doing it. And that's probably more likely the way it happens. Because I, I don't, genuinely, I don't think there are many agents who are as dishonest as, as that example. But there is, there is a, there is a, I suppose, a, a temptation for agents to, to do what they can from a sales point of view to make sure they're getting the best price out of a out of a buyer. Anyway, well, like yeah, I say, so, this is that would be well, dishonest, but it would be it, there'd be a principle behind it. But Rowan, you and Chris have sort of made the point that so Chris said when it comes to money, it's human nature. Um, you said something similar early on, Rowan, when this is just you know people protecting themselves, getting their best. All so the argument is that if the consumer is able to allow, is allowed to allow human nature to say it and protect their money then the counter argument well so are agents you know mm. the agent is in essence 
protecting themselves, making sure they're putting dinner on the table at home, they're getting their client the, the best possible price by saying these things, doing these things. Yeah. It's um and isn't it actually in just one word, let's 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 think about this, isn't it just called negotiation? That 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 that's that that's I think if you can boil it down to the nego- the reason we're probably all on this on this pod is probably because we're all fairly skilled um uh business people that have been able to um uh, skillfully um work our way up through a through a ladder of whatever that may look like for each of us. But we've all been able to successfully negotiate a great price for our clients over me on 21 years now i guess um and actually isn't that all part of life you know whether you go to a car boot sale or whether you're buying a house you know it's it's, it's just negotiation isn't it so um but it's uh, but what's what's really important is is most important i mean part of one of our underneath our you know our, our basically our slow underneath our um, our logo is trusted property professionals and i think um especially right now i think that's really important because i don't think that Without trust, you ain't going to get any instructions. Um, so, but also, I think there's an element of negotiations um, and being a being a negotiator. Um, but you can be a negotiator without going rogue. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and there is the soundbite for the episode. Beautiful, <laughs> absolutely. Just, that is exactly why you're on here, mate. You can oh, yeah. so beautifully. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Well. We've had a good 25-minute conversation. I'm none the wiser. We solved that question, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. I'm more confused than when we started 25 <laughs> minutes ago. Um, just tell the truth. I mean, to Rowan's example, yeah, there are ways of presenting other interested parties without being really specific. There are ways to negotiate people up without falsifying other interests. Um, you know, Chris is absolutely right. We've... I mean, but I wasn't born with negotiation skills. I've learned them over the last 20 years and so can everyone else. Um, although uh, definitely for another podcast, Rowan, I've written it here. Corporates provide the best training. We're going to get into that another time. Next time you're on, we're going to have that. Discuss. That is one for us to get into. That is, yeah, that's an interesting one. Right. Time for the social hand grenade. Uh, so I saw this on social actually a, a few weeks ago. I'm a bit of a geek. I save things I like look of. So the social hand grenade is very, very simply something you see on social media. Decide we've got lots and lots of um, interactions, engagement, and people are interested by it. Or in some instances, the hand grenade didn't go off. And I think it should have gone off because it's an important subject matter. Or it's something that um, is really worth conversation, but maybe the algorithm didn't agree. This week, it was an engagement piece. So I'm going to share it with you guys so you can see. Nobody cares about your market share. What they Mm. care about is what you can do for them. Solve their problem, deliver results, and you'll have all the market share you need. What they're really saying is don't worry about your market share. Worry about solving the consumer's problems. What do you think? Market share, important or not? Because this this really divides opinion. Yes and no. I think market share is is really important because I think it, um, I say really important. It's important to understand what market you're working in and actually have you got the best people within your business that are able to go and you win great pieces of business, do the very best person for do the very best job for the client. Um, do I want my teams whacking a load of right move graphs on there? No, but if someone's proud of that, let them be that person. You know, I, I, I said it previously, Ben on the pod, um, stay infinite, stay in our lane. And if I can make sure that my team stay in our lane, I don't care. Um, uh, let's be honest. You can 
you adjust market share reports to suit your narrative at that day within that hour at that point in time um you know it's important for i i look at them because i think it's important um it's a it's important metric for me to see how we're doing out there in the market and actually to see if we're getting our unfair share um or not as the case may be and in and in certain pockets and certain branches we're doing well and in certain pockets and certain branches we need to do better because there's more coming to the market at the right prices than we've actually got out to so that's a that's a training issue and a support issue to that to that branch not there to blow our own trumpet or you know it's vanity and sanity i think mm-hmm. it's important vanity and sanity to play there um but i think to, to gain market share you have to you, you you obviously have to be very good at what you do um, you have to be trusted, um, and you've got to you've be able to execute it. So, I think there's, there's there's an important part of making sure that you know what the market's doing out there, what the market's able to deliver for you, and then it's down to us as leaders um, to stay infinite in our lane and 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 basically do the very best of what we can possibly do. But if people want to show off their market share gloss, let them do it. That's fine. It doesn't but it doesn't offend me at all. If they want to crack on, then let them crack on. If it's it's it's, it's their way, isn't it? So Chris has taken us right straight into right move pie charts. Absolutely lethal on this podcast for a right move pie chart conversation. So right, I'm going to pull it back, and rather than talk about how you're displaying your market share, what do you think market share necessity not needed in this day and age? We have different models that are surviving without. I think it's well, I'm a I'm a kind of a living example of it, right? So I didn't have enough market share. So, uh, and I still had to find 25,000 pounds, 30,000 pounds a month to run a business. And that was becoming too hard. So it was easier and better for me to let myself get eaten by a by another agent that took all of that drama off me. So I think market share does matter. But I <clears throat> I kind of took this this view, this, uh, you know, this, this I can't remember your quote now, but um, I, I, it, wasn't quite, it wasn't quite Watkin-esque, but it was almost, wasn't it? it was, uh, you know, no one cares about your market share, but your mum or something like that. And but the, the second line was, I think, the important one, and that's the one I'm I'm now forgetting. So what? So I'll read it out to you. Nobody cares about your market share. What they care about is what you can do for them. Solve yeah, okay. their problem, deliver results, and you'll have all the market share you need. Yeah. So so I think that that is that's a very principled statement, and those were my principles, and they'll be. There'll be tens of people in Oxford who think that about me, but there aren't hundreds of people. And because there aren't hundreds, or maybe there are hundreds, but there aren't thousands, actually, I couldn't carry, I couldn't make enough profit that made me feel comfortable enough about going, do you know what? This is this is now this is now the trajectory for Wallace Estate Agents for the next 20 years. I took a totally different view and thought, do you know what? I've had a nice run, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna now look for another for an exit from it because actually it's just too costly. Now there are a lot of lower cost models now, and this is, and I think this is the the new breed of agency coming in. You know, the self employed type, where they can offer that really, really super dedicated, personalised service, on, on, on a, and they don't need market share. They need three or four sales. I mean, some of them need three or four sales a year on the fees that they're getting, but they let's say three or four sales a month. Whereas I was needing, you know, 10, 12 sales a month to know that we were going to make profit. And and that's a that's a market share issue. Unless unless you've got market share, you can't sustain that level. But if you are running a, a lower cost model, then of course you don't need the market share, and then and then you can afford to you know to do this. But actually, we were trying to run a dedicated. Let, let's let's put all of the sort of the love and and soul and effort and you know and uh, I can't even, I still can't remember this second line now. But 
but we were solving these people's problems but it actually it the the the, the suggestion that gives you market share is not true you have to go and get market share in other ways and 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 i think that the uh the, the criticism of agents that, that go for big market share i think is unfounded because those are successful profitable estate agents that will survive in in markets whereas smaller agents go do you know what eat me yeah i mean yeah. quite poignant um great timing having you on for this one um but i i don't say this often i agree with every single thing you just said and i don't mean with you i mean with most people just because i'm an argumentative sod um <laughs> Because there's there's so, there's so much criticism over businesses that have overheads to cover, and they can be doing a great job for their clients, but they still need a bit more for it to be a worthwhile endeavour. Um, you've you've nailed it. But Stephen, I mean, the um, two guys have they you know they waffled on a bit there. They've taken a I, lot of the content. I'm not sure what's left. <laughs> well, okay. So I've had 32 years, and I started off on corporate. Set up quite young. And I was a, I chased the dream. I chased the market share. And nothing would do that I had to have uh, 30 houses every month listed. And I wanted to beat the next nearest agent. And I wanted the largest newspaper advertisement of the week and whatever else came along. Uh, and I nearly drove myself under the ground as a result of it. And I learned the lesson over the piece was that, again, the service, it's about providing a service. And you do stretch yourself. And it gets more costly, the bigger you get, the more you need to feed under the fire. And there's an expression about a big fire will burn you and a small fire will keep you warm. And so I completely changed the model that we had and concentrated on a new homes market, which in, in essence then brought me more business. And my business, I wouldn't call it niche, but we have a smaller, more compact business. We have a smaller, more compact staff, but we get greater fees because we can give our clients a better level of service. And I can promise you this, I probably earn as much, if not more, than the leading estate agent in Verticomas in terms of numbers of listed homes um, and, and provide a much better service. And people come now to us for service as opposed to being led by, if you like, whatever the, the latest stats are on our local website, which is Property Pal. And I'm, I don't know, I can't talk for everybody, but I'm a happier person for it. I was a miserable, miserable, miserable sod. Uh, for 20 for 20 years because I chased the pipeline dream and I chased the listings dream and I was not I would go as far as to say I wasn't even a particularly nice person at the time and just something changed and I, I could see something different we call it maturity call it whatever for me in this day and age now it is about providing a quality service I hear what it takes to run an office I have a high street office I have all the overhead but I have set myself down a model that allows me to provide service and I'm not, the most key thing is I'm not looking over my shoulder. I don't worry about what anybody else is doing anymore because all I need to concentrate on is what I'm doing in the market. And I think what I'm doing in the market serves my clientele very well. So that's my, my opinion on and where things are at. And so for you, Stephen, you've got a strong market share in your specialist area though, right? Yes. So because market share, you know, so we're a, we're a, a premium price property so we regard ourselves as a bit of a specialist we've got a niche we don't work on properties priced below a million pounds so we've got a good market share in that bracket but if you look at us in the whole of the market the the, the average consumer doesn't know who we are and so yeah. i think yeah. it's important that you know um that's like shogun art of war isn't it say that again right that's like shogun art of war isn't it it's choosing your battlefield 
Well, yeah. I heard a term um, recently, smallest viable audience. It's mm. a marketing term. Build a business where you can target the smallest viable audience that creates a, a commercial success for you. So you don't be everything to everyone. Find your niche, nail it, smash mm. it, and then you're the market share leader in your niche. But actually yeah. in the wider, you know, in the in the wider framework, you're, you know, finding country. So I, I, I'm, I'm very honest about finding country. What we're really good at from a, a collective perspective <clears throat> is looking at our data in the premium price point bracket and saying, oh, market share is this and that and this. And it's complete fugazi. Our market share is not that, you know, most of the general public are looking at um, agents that, that cover the whole of the market. Mm. Um, what I would say, though, is market share is really helpful when it comes to winning business um, and doing business for me um, to be able to say we're the number one because of X, Y, Z. I think people like to follow the pack. We're pack animals. Yeah. And I also think once you've gained a market share in your particular area, whatever that might be, it generate it, it naturally generates more activity for you. In our old business, we were the number one selling agent, I believe, because we had the highest market share. And quite often, a consumer might say something like, "Look, can you sell mine discreetly? Can you do it offline?" And our retort is, "You need to um, you need to play your part in this system. We could sell your property discreetly off market, but." Everyone else is contributing to the sale of all these other houses. By all of you going on the market, that property will generate a buyer for you. Your property goes on the market. You'll probably generate a buyer for the next one that comes to the market. We've all got to do our bit to help each other sell. And so our, our goal was to retain market share because it generated the high. Mm. We just had a great database of buyers. And that's, you know, that's mm. how I think we did a lot of our business. But um, all really good points on market share. That's meant to be a two-minute piece, that social hand grenade. We've done another... Yeah, yeah, all right. Don't worry, guys. It's good work. It's okay. We've got 12 minutes left to do basically half the podcast. It's good. It's solid. Um, right. You can't make it up. So every week, Summit, just get off your chest. Can't believe this silly story. Can't believe what's going on in the world. Mine is more serious this week, just because I've had a, we just, uh, at home, we've had a hell of a period. So in a 10-day period, my seven-year-old was diagnosed with dyslexia. In within a week of that diagnosis, because of that diagnosis, she had to have her eyes tested and she's got some, it's, it's, in layman's terms, sort of a lazy eye. It's not really a lazy eye. It's something where the eye muscle doesn't doesn't work as it's meant to. She's got to wear pink glasses when she reads. That'll correct it for her. That'll train her. That's not the end of the world. That's okay. Dyslexia nowadays doesn't mean anything. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have myself tested because based on everything I've learned about dyslexia, I'm, I'm dyslexic. Um, next up, though, are... Two-year-old turned two this week, burst her eardrum, and that's the ninth time. Uh, sorry, that's the eleventh time in twelve months. She's been on antibiotics every mm. month for the last year, and we can't. Uh, the referral to the NHS to get grommets for ill and everything looked at is May next year, which is insane. May next year, the GP said to us, "You've got to go private. She won't survive till May next year." So okay, it's fine. And then last week, our three-year-old broke her arm. I'm telling you, social services are going to be knocking at my door. <laughs> they are going to, what are we doing with these poor kids? Three little girls, all have got injuries. It's not a massive, it's a buckle fracture. It'll be healing three or four weeks. They're all happy. They're fine. But you can't make it up. Three in a row. Things come in threes. So um, that's my home life right now. I'm basically um, a medic, but that's good. It's fine. Lighten the mood, guys. What you got for me? Well, I'll, 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 I'll go. I'll do one. Well, um, I mean, uh, I'm going on holiday for um, 
quite a special birthday coming up for myself in March and my wife in uh, in December. Um, I'll let you um, <clears throat> choose that he's got a four. 30, yeah, you, you know, yeah, 30, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and before, basically, we're going on December, we're going on a nice cruise around the Caribbean, and I said that I want to have a Barbados bod. Right, lovely. So, um, I wanted to get a Barbados body, get myself looking all all, all slim again. I've put on probably about I don't know. I'm half a stone, maybe a stone heavier than I want to be. Anyway, last time I went running, I um I went through the woods, lovely up, uh, lovely little run up the woods, and um twist my ankle. Anyway, uh, I was I was off running for that was probably about I don't know about two or three three or three weeks. Um, ankle quite swollen. It's a weak ankle from when I was trying to play badminton when I was younger. Anyway, I went out on um on Sunday morning, uh, and guess what? Twisted my ankle again. Same bloody thing. So it's that route. It's that route. I genuinely, I, I'm trying to get this Barbados bod, Ben, but I can't do it. I've got a problem. I've, I've, um, hey, I'll, I'll solve your problem for you. I started intermittent fasting. Have you heard about this? It's, it's yeah, quite, quite popular. I started it six weeks before we went on holiday in August. I dropped five kilos. Um. It What's is, five kilos in pounds? I work in pounds. About double. About double. Yeah. So well, okay, a fair bit, just under a stone then. Yeah. Yeah. It um so really, really simply, um, you try and eat 16 hour you leave a 16 hour window between say dinner and when yeah. you eat the next day. So really simple. If I have my dinner at 8 p.m., yeah, right. But let's just say I finish at 8 p.m. and I don't eat and drink anymore um for the rest of the evening, I just wait until 12 o'clock the next day to have um, food or drink. So you can have water, you can have black coffee. And that's what I have in the morning, just black coffee instead I have lunch yeah. and I have lunch a little bit later. Um, it will change your change your life, Chris. I'm not, yeah. I'm, I'm so, I'm pushing it on everyone, but the health benefits are insane. Um, I would recommend um, Diary of a CEO. Um, that's how I got onto it and looking up the episode uh, that covers intermittent fasting. I'll have a look at it. I'll send it to you. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. It's amazing. And it's so easy. It's not, a, you know, diets are quite difficult to stick to. You know, you got to get the right food and prepare. Yeah. And this is just don't eat. Yeah. Just, yeah. You know, um, my, my asbestos surveyor arrived just at the crucial moment and now I'll never have a six pack. So <laughs> <laughs> you've already got one. Who are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. It goes the wrong um, way. Stephen, what you got for us? What's your, I can't believe you know it. what? I can't make it up. It's, it's one of these weight things again because I I spent the last year's president of uh, NEA and drinking up my way through twelve months of um, appearing at different conferences, and I've gone on a, a health check as well. And same thing for me. Only it's called Sciatica. So uh -huh. I decided I was just about to check off. Had my very first walk up the hill. Back went, that was it, and then I was in bed for three days, and I'm just absolutely disgusted because I have to get rid of this weight, and it's not even a, a, a beach bot I'm looking for, it's a, it's a health kit, I have to do it, I'm 52 years of age, time has come, I can't behave like a 30-year-old anymore, but um, other than that, not, not much, to be perfectly honest, but I'm really interested in intermittent fasting, because Nathan's been doing that at property, Mark, and he swears by it, Amazing. and I just don't get it, he says he can eat, eat what he wants, wants yeah. to eat. It's all your food and drink in an eight hour window. So I would normally have lunch at about two o'clock. Um, I don't have a big lunch because you know, working lunch sort of thing. But then for dinner, I'll have anything I want. And I've got a very sweet tooth. So it always involves some sort of dessert. And I still drop five kids. It's just, it, it's, there's a lot of science behind it, obviously. But there's study after study after study that show them, prove that it works. And the health benefits are insane. So much so now, now that they are um, prescribing cancer patients 
to do a five to seven day fast mm. because it repairs the body in such an extreme fashion. Mm. Um, it's crazy. It's insane. I'm completely hooked. Um, I, yeah, five to seven day fast sounds like hell. And also lots of people though, sorry, this is turning into a bloody health podcast. <laughs> lots of people think that it's going to be really, really challenging. The first week or two, your stomach needs to get used to not, you know, if you have breakfast normally, you're going to get used to not having breakfast. But after the first couple of weeks, I see my dad every now and again, and he, and he talk about this, and he's, you're not hungry. No, the, the body just gets used to it. It gets used to what it gets used to, get into a good routine. I end up having two or three coffees every morning where I used to maybe only have one. But um, I also listened to a podcast yesterday. It said coffee is really good for you uh, and would extend mm. your life. So mm. amen. Happy with that. Yeah. Good. Um, right. Um, Ryan, you got anything that's not health related? Yeah. Any, okay. anything? Yeah, I like it. Actually, I can tell you one about coffee. I could tell you one about coffee. I could tell you, I've got so many stories for my life in estate agencies. But we, we wrote a little book when I was at Abbott's of all this stupid stuff that happened. And one of those was, so it's a story about a lady called Mabel. She was a little, like a, like a classic little old lady who had me out to do a market appraisal at her house. So, <clears throat> so we did the tour of her house um, and ended up in the kitchen, sat at the kitchen table. And then she said, can I get you a cup of tea? And I said, oh, I'll have coffee, please. And she said, oh, well, I don't, I don't normally drink coffee, but I've got some here somewhere. I was like, oh, that's all right, I'll have tea. She went, yeah, I've got coffee somewhere, isn't it? So the warning signs were there anyway. So she made us a cup of coffee. She came and sat down. She said, do you have um, milk and sugar? I said, just milk, please, Mabel. I'm sweet enough. All of that sort of thing. Right, so got then the we charm, sat down. He's got the charm. Took a sip of my coffee. I was like, oh. And I looked and I looked up and I realized that she had not found coffee from her cupboard. She found gravy. So, <laughs> and, but I felt so embarrassed for her. I didn't say anything. I just said, oh, actually, I think I will have a little bit of sugar, please. So, um, so I just sat there and ate, you know, well, drank my, uh, my cup of Bisto with milk and two oh, lumps. Wow, Rowan, you are, you're my hero. That's absolutely insane. And you know what? And then her daughter, so I didn't, didn't sign her up at the kitchen table. Her daughter called me the next day and she said, I just want to say, my mum was so mortified, but you were so kind that you didn't, you know, embarrass her. Um, so I did win the instruction. But then she also told me that I'd, I'd put everything away for her and I put it up too high so she couldn't, know, she couldn't reach her tea bags anymore. So, so I had to go back round. If you didn't win that instruction after drinking a mug of gravy, that then I, I would have had to get out of the game at that point. That, that would have sent me over the edge. Um, wow, a, a mug of gravy. That's horrific. Good for you. Mm. That's a good story. That's a great story. Um, right, Agents Together, Sam Offley. Brief introduction. Agents Together is a mentor mentee charity set up specifically for the property industry. So if you think you could benefit from a mentor to help you with any area of your life, speak to Sam Offley. Likewise, um, if you think you have something of value to offer to mentees, speak to Sam Offley and become a mentor. It's so um fulfilling i can't stress it enough um every week we do a, just a small section sam asks a particular question in, just in case you didn't pick up on that guys you three small section nice quick mm -hmm. answers because we're definitely going to run over um sam hasn't um uh, to be fair it's my fault i didn't get to sam in time to get his question of the week on video i'm going to read it for you so a question that mentees are um raising at the moment that they need some help with is basically man, there's so much to learn in a state agency and there's so much content out there so many tools for learning where where should they start where should they begin it's almost 
uh, intimidating. There's so much out there. So what advice would you give really for agents starting out? Where should they start in terms of their learning journey? Mm. Good one. That's a, that, that, that's a well, really difficult question. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, 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 I think from my perspective, um, I think if a, if a new starter is coming into um, and they've chosen a business, then I have to say, I think a lot of the, uh, a lot of mentorship and training should be, you should, I think that you, sh you should quantify what that looks like before you enter the business and see what their onboarding actually looks like. It's something that we're looking at as a business actually at the moment, because it's so important. <clears throat> um, so um, actually what does the, the firm, the, uh, the entry firm look like and their onboarding process. Um, and then uh, for me, making sure that the incoming, uh, whether, which, whoever they sit behind or whether they, whoever they're, they're being managed by, making sure that there's an excellent leader and i'll use the word leader more than manager it's got to be a leader there's got to be a leader within that business or that branch or whatever that may look like so i'd actually say to say um you there's no textbook for a state agency it's actually making sure that you're actually positioned within the right business and make sure that their onboarding process is actually second to none um and we're over, we're overhauling ours right now so um that's something for me which is quite quite a good question mate, because i totally understand that um new incoming people it can be quite daunting so yeah, yeah there's a lot, isn't making there? sure there the really company's got a on proper onboarding process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the reality of it is that if you're a, if you're someone that's coming out of school and you're beginning the process and you want to become an estate agent, it's, it's difficult to understand or recognise what is the right or wrong onboarding process and what routes are there. And the one thing that I learned is because I'd left school, done A levels, and went straight on the estate agency. My ability to retain information was very good because you just come out of that learning background. And I do say this, and I'm not trying to push any particular uh, products or otherwise from property, Mark, but, you know, you have to begin some sort of learning, learning course. And I suppose level, you know, a level two qualification in property management or learning or estate agency is the place to begin. Um, apprenticeships is also really important because I think that's where you'll find you'll get most structure, that you have some sort of support system outside of the office as well, because you, you can't assume that everybody you can be a good leader but not necessarily a good teacher you can show people the way but you know i think everybody's got gaps in their skill set mm -hmm. and it's really 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 difficult to just assume you're going to get the best possible training so it involves a lot of what you're prepared to do yourself i think in many ways and i think apprenticeships are the key to all of that because there is an outside structured learning process and then, and then obviously on the job learning, and those are the two most important things. Certainly from my perspective, I think that's why um, I succeeded in the way that I did, because there was both on the job and off the job learning. And the two things have to marry together in my, in my humblest opinion. Yeah, it's, we, we, we used well, we used several apprenticeships schemes at our old business. The issue we really had was not with the apprentices, it was with the people running the schemes and find reliable people that would would be there for the apprentices and more often than not the apprentice within a, a matter of months had transferred out of that apprenticeship into a you know just a sort of more of a standard role yeah. um but I, I, I completely take the point that not all leaders are great teachers and as it happens a state agency's got to be one of those sectors where more often than not people get promoted because they're great at one role and not necessarily have the skill set for the next role um so there's, yeah there's yeah th this is why it's a tough question because it's that you know we don't have a universal answer to this um mm. how, what's the best way to induct yourself into an industry what do you think ryan 
I think that we get too bogged down in compliance and um, we have to be compliant. Okay. So there, there is, there are things that we need to do legally, but I think that a lot of, a, a lot of this, and that's why I'm kind of rope gets on my nerves a bit because it's all about how to, how to be compliant from it, like from an obligation to HMRC and everything else. And I know like we don't want people money laundering, but ultimately most, most people aren't going to go into a state agency with the intention of helping money launderers. So apart from saying like, you need to spot these warning signs, I think that we get bogged down on all of that way too quickly. And actually, a state agency, a good estate agency, is about human relationships. So, you know, I was being a bit facetious earlier when I was talking about, you know, you can be dishonest but principled. I don't really believe that. I think you have to be honest and principled, right? And I think that that any new starter, it should be about, like, how can you help them astonish the clients? That's what their job is. You're like, well, I want to show you how you really astonish a client. Because I can't tell you really how to go and do a good viewing. I mean, it's like a viewing's a viewing, right? So a house will probably sell itself to somebody. So apart from, like, being able to spot a bathroom instead of a dining room, there's not much you really need to teach people. What you need to teach people is about how you, how you communicate well, why it's important to follow up with feedback, why it's important to ask the right questions when you're giving feedback, how you deliver that feedback then to a to a client in the right way. So that's astonishing as well to, to you know work towards the end goal. And I think if it's all about how you astonish people rather than how you don't go to prison for five years for you know selling selling houses to the wrong people, then then actually that will breed better estate agents. But it's a bit it's a bit more than that, surely. It's a bit more than just saying, you know, don't run it under and we'll all be okay. I remember one thing going way, way back, and it was a, I was only in the job, I don't know, two weeks, and somebody asked me the most simple of questions. Um, they asked me, well, we want to make an offer in this house. Uh, can you just say if it was timber-framed or a traditional constructive house? I had no scooby-doo. Mm. So I just told them the first thing that came into my head, hoping I was going to please them. Mm. And it did get me into trouble back then, but if we can if we extrapolate and take that to where we're at now, the whole point of ROPA isn't just about stopping people from money laundering. It's about ensuring that everybody has a minimum level of education and understand the processes in place. And the reason a lot of people become rogue agents is because they may understand how to sell, but they don't necessarily understand how to run a business. And then they get themselves into trouble. And then that's when their true nature comes out and they start making decisions that they might not make if they understood how to run a business also and how to be not just an effective estate but an effective business owner or someone who understands the process of business. The rope is a bit more, more encompassing than that. And I do understand there's a lot of people out there go, we don't, we don't need rope, but we do need something. Because there's no, you know, it's okay if you're from a big corporate and you have an education system in place and people are in. There's lots of people out there who don't have that in place. Certainly in Northern Ireland, I think that's the case. And I'm sure in the mainland it's true as well. I'll give you an example. The, the second company I worked for, which were um, an independent, really, really um, strong business. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating here. They were they won all the awards, had a great business, a great market share, good brand locally, been around for years and years and years. They prided themselves on training and development. And, and I love that. I, I went from a, a sort of a, 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 they weren't a corporate, but they had that sort of corporate feel about them where training was, everything was knocked out in one week. And then you don't get any more training and there's nothing. Just get in there. It's a dog fight. First week of that business, I saw a fist fight, um, the first business. And as a 22 year old who was healthy and into his sport, I thought, well, this is what I'm going to do. Okay. Here, if it's, if it's about, you know, we have a punch up to see who wins the applicants. I fancy myself against all of you lot. Um, in hindsight, what a world SAG was 20 years ago. Anyway, I went to this second business and seriously, I took training development really seriously. Every week it was structured. We all got involved. 
I loved it. The culture worked really, really well. Six months into someone working with us, new to the industry, great guy, really liked him, um, worked in a different branch. We're doing training and he's six months in, six months into being a lettings negotiator. He's done, he's worked his way through everything, done all the training, but we have ongoing training and we're talking about offer extraction. We're talking about the best way to extract an offer, process it, just some basic stuff, but some good tips, some good advice. And we're doing a role play and someone says they want a, a six month break clause. They Sorry. They want a break clause. They don't say six, six months. And he says, uh, so someone says, can I have a break clause in this role play? And he says, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. I think so. And it's really clear at that point that he doesn't know what he's talking about. Now he's been with us for six months. He's working for a business that's great at training. They care. We're all in the same room. We're hearing in process offers. After that conversation, so, um, Kevin, tell us about the break clause. He said, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if this property has one. <laughs> <laughs> he said, what, what, what would you mean? What do you mean? What, where's the break clause? He said, it's something in the building, isn't it? <laughs> and we're like, no, um, that's terrifying. You've been here six months. People have been processing offers through you. And, you know, and it's not his fault. Absolutely 100% not his fault. You go to a restaurant, you get bad service. Generally speaking, it's because the server's not been trained very well. And I pride that, you know, I take, you know, I say that was a great business for training. So if that was managing to slip through, then what else is going on on businesses that don't take their training seriously? So it's definitely, it's tough, you know, inducting people. The million, I still learn something new every week and I'm 20 years in. And I bet you guys do here in these niche scenarios that how do we deal with them? So it's tough out there. That's probably the best agents together question we've ever had because we were, we were all a bit stumped initially. There's mm -hmm. one thing I heard last week, which I really like. Spencer Lawrence of Paramount Properties, really great agent, really great business. One of the things he does all new starters, they give them a list of people to follow on social media so that you can start to learn from people outside the organization. And mm. I thought that's genius because there are some really great agents producing really great content. Um, there are great trainers producing great content. It's a really good idea. So um, I would be looking through and finding good agents to follow to pick up tips and tricks. Right. It's, 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 we, we've been here an hour, lads. Uh, <laughs> waffle of the week. I'll go first. Right. What's the waffle I've heard read saw this week so this is not a political podcast but with the general election at some point soon i'm sure there's going to be politics thrown around chris am i about to take your one here you're about to steal what i was just about right. to say about politics. you go no, i'll no, go no, last no, you... i'll go last yeah. i'm going last i'll go last chris no. you go first go but, uh, it, it might just just the um the fact that uh we're, we're being um we're being told that uh, the next new incoming government whoever that may be is going to solve all our problems um that's to me is total bull um so from my perspective um I, I i'm well out of politics i don't want to get political but um i saw an article that basically just said yeah the um a change of government is everything we need now i don't necessarily disagree with that that comment but also i think it's a lot deep more rooted than that um uh but yeah without getting political nah there's a lot more that's going on in the world that uh a new incoming prime minister whether whether she or he what that what that what that is it ain't gonna solve our problems it's not gonna be the silver bullet so that's my that's that's my waffle of the week and yeah and um for all our viewers <clears> mum um, expect a lot of waffle over the next few months that's going to be around politics, housing, wild yeah. claims. Um, Stephen, what's your waffle of the week? I think it was uh, Rishi Shunak saying that with the HS2 uh, Manchester section being uh, effectively dissolved, that they were going to use that money 
to have a transport link from Manchester city centre to the airport with their metro link. Given the fact they've had one for the last five or six years, I think that's what you would call utter waffle. Pure waffle. I mean, yeah. it's, I, I, I don't know if, yeah, because of politicians, we're okay, but I don't want us to become bullies, but they, it's such low-hanging fruit. When a politician opens their mouth, there's just content. There's just content for us every yeah. time. Um, Rowan, what you got? I haven't got much waffle, to be honest. I um, I, I will point you towards uh, someone on social media called Will Grashoff, um, who you should all follow. He's a recruiter, OX7 Talent Partners. But their posts are just amazing. But he was calling somebody else out for waffle. And that waffle was a, was a story on social media about <laughs> they called this applicant and the applicant said, don't call me, I'm at work. And uh, and then he put the phone down, felt a bit disheartened, and then they called him back an hour later and said, I'm really sorry, my boss was in the room, I am looking for a job. Anyway, he placed, uh, got the commission, et cetera. And Will called this out. And I, I love Will, he, I agree with pretty much everything he says. But I did think, I don't know, I could be one of those applicants, I do that. I answer my phone, they go, yeah, sorry, I can't talk right now. And I think, why did I answer the phone in the first place? But um, but uh, if you want to have Waffle called out, follow Will Grashoff, because he's, uh, he's very good at it. Greshoff, G R E S H O F. G R A, G R A, Greshoff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't you always love that one where you you make the phone call to speak to them and they don't know it's you calling and the first thing oh, I'm just about to go to a meeting. No, yeah. you're not. You still want to talk to me. <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. I, I'm in a meeting. I'm oh, sorry. I'm in a meeting right now. What? <laughs> of course yeah. you are. Everyone's in a meeting when when I call. Um, my wife, my dad, everyone. No. Um, right. My waffle of the week is a bit more specific. So it is. Um. It's uh, so we're not political. Um, this could have been Lib Dems, it could have been Tories. As it happens, it's a Labour statement that I'm just going to call out that they're going to put extra tax on overseas nationals buying property in the UK. Mm. Now they're going to charge foreign buyers an extra two percent. Now it's, it's it's vague at the moment, but are we saying that regular stamp duty plus second home stamp duty plus two percent, getting very very expensive to invest in this? in this country if that's the plan um supposedly this makes residential property more affordable for first-time buyers and fairer for first-time buyers what i'm surprised by is the mistakes of the tory government clearly have not taught the politicians anything because what they've done over the last 10 years the lack of investment in uk look what's happening to the rental market right now yeah. it's absolutely insane and the families that are being hurt by this and now we've got someone else saying, oh, we're just going to do a bit more of it. Why not? And it signs off with Keir Starmer saying we got, they will build 1.5 million homes in the first five years mm. of government. What a statement that is. Come on, Keir. Yeah. Come on, Booby. That's, you know, be realistic. You might as well have said 30 million. 1.5. Mm. But that's my waffle of the week. I like to do that. <laughs> um, right, chaps. It's been fun. It's been good. It's been interesting. You know, people watching this might genuinely learn something and smile <laughs> and, and think about drinking a cup of gravy. That is, that's going to stay with me to, I hate gravy, to be clear. And that's why for me, it's not good. I could, drink, I could drink a cup of gravy, but when it's got milk in it, it's a little bit different. Well, no, I've got nothing. I can't help you there. It makes me feel physically nauseous. Um, Stephen, Chris, Rowan, you've been excellent. Uh, the last thing for us to do is just hand over to Mr. Watkins for his weekly Watkins whimsy. It's not good for some of the speech impediments to try and say that. Uh, thank you, guys. You've been brilliant. We'll see you soon. Cheers, thank everyone. You. Ben. Bye.
Remember, as estate agents, you shouldn't actually be worrying about house prices, but more importantly, you should be worrying about housing transactions. What are you doing to get a bigger slice of the pie? You should be doing short-term stuff like hunting, like going out there, door-knocking, sending letters, and then long-term seeds that you're planting, which will get the, uh, the, the fruit or the listings next summer. And by doing both, you'll win big time.